The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Let's turn to Joshua, the 8th chapter, and begin reading at the 18th verse, and then we'll skip to the 30th verse, and then we'll read some from chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that it was in his hand toward the city. And then down to verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which the man has wielded an iron tool. No man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests and the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who lived among them. Sounds like a group of Bible study ladies, doesn't it? And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. And they went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy, just like what's up front here today. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you should dwell among us. How, how can we make a co- Perhaps you dwell among us. How can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, Oh, from a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did to Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, which were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go and meet them, and say, We are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. 
This bread of ours, when we took it from our ovens, was hot. From our houses on the day we departed to you, but now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins were filled with new wine, and see, they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of our long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, keepers, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Their cities were Gibeon, Chiphara, Bigaroth, Kirjith, Jerem. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Let's bow our heads in prayer. This morning you would come, dear Lord Jesus, and be our teacher. That you would break open the word of life to us. And that, Lord, we would all say, oh my, look what Jesus has said to us today. Now, Lord, we are. I'm especially looking to you today, Jesus. I pray you might come and teach through me for us that, Lord, we would hear your words. And, Lord, we thank you in advance. Now, Jesus... I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in all of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Remember last week we looked at the defeat of Ai, and the reason was because there was sin in the camp. And it was only one man that sinned, Achan, who put beautiful garments, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, and hid it in the center of his tent. When he was told to not take any of the, the plunder, that it was all to go to God. So he took and had in the center of his tent that that belonged to God. So this, so that AI, God didn't prosper them when they went to battle because there was sin. So if you and I are going to begin to possess the promised land and begin to move into the wider place of God's blessing, we cannot abide anything in our lives that is sin. It is just like cancer. God has to cut it out and get rid of it, and it, it will, or else it will destroy us. So that you and I need to be very careful what is central to our being. Is Jesus Christ Lord of lords in your life and mine? Where do you and I spend our time? What is the thing we really love to do? And we can look at where we spend our time and get a good inclination of what is the central focus of our life. Just like a teenager with a new car, the very first car, remember? And how he just spends time and hours on that car. Because he loves it. He doesn't feel one minute he spends on that car. Or a man who loves golf. He doesn't feel any time he spends on the golf course. Or any expense. Because he loves golf. 
And God is saying, what is under the center part of our hearts and our lives? Is it Jesus Christ or is it beautiful garments? Is it silver? Is it security? Is it gold? What is central in your life and mine? And if we're going to have power with God and man in our lives and authority over the evil one, we need to be squeaky clean. So the Israelites dealt with Achan. And he lost his life, and his sin cost him the lives of his whole family, everything that, he belong, everything that belonged to him. And our sin will cost our lives and everyone that we love. If we do not deal with it, we have got to deal with sin. So then they went out. They dealt with him. He was stoned, and the whole family was stoned. They, and then they burned it all with fire. And that the wrath of God was, was quieted. And he said, now you are ready to deal with your enemies. And so they went up, the whole kit and caboodle went up to Ai. And they ambushed Ai. And God brought tremendous defeat to Ai. And then God said, this plunder is yours. You can go in and get this plunder. I needed to know in the first, in Jericho, whether you'd let me be Lord and you'd give me all that belonged rightly to me. Similar to what he does with Sabbath, our Sabbath. Similar to what he does with our tithe. God wants to be first in our lives. Not because he is mean, but because he is God. And he alone is worthy of our worship. So that they went up to Ai and conquered it. Now, I want us to notice one thing about chapter 8. We're going to kind of skim through chapter 8. That while they were battling for Ai, what does it say in verse 18 that Joshua was doing? Can anyone tell me? Was Joshua in the forefront of the battle? He was holding the javelin. And he held the javelin the whole time they were in warfare. So that once again you get a picture very similar to what happened with Moses when Joshua was fighting the Amalekites and Moses held up his hands and her, her and Aaron had to get on either side. I think God is giving us a picture. He's the great fifth grade school teacher. He is giving us a picture here that if you and I are going to have victory with the enemy as we go in to possess the land that God's given to us, some of us God calls to be in the front line fracas. And there are others of us that God says, you lift up your hands and put that javelin there and don't let him down till the, fire, till the fire's over and the battle's won. So it gives us a clue to the value of intercession if you and I are going to gain territory from the enemy. And we don't do it. We go in and fight the fight and then we wonder why we turn tail and run. And so as we go out, Jessica is in order to say, I cannot go down to High Honduras and face a family that is lost and doesn't know God except for two people. I have got to have somebody who stands with a javelin lifted in the air and said, I will intercede on your behalf. I will stand in the gap for you as you go. And when we prayed Tuesday, it came to me again that those of us that are going through the fire, because if we walk with God, we will go through the fire. Not because God is mean once again, but because life is not, the life is not, um, does not a friend to grace. Remember that? 
The enemy is not a friend to grace so that as we are going upstream from the way the world is going, we are going to run against tremendous opposition. And we need to be carrying one another like the four friends carried the paralytic to Jesus. He couldn't get there himself. He was too broken. So he had four friends that just said, you need help and you need Jesus. They picked up four sides of his bed and carted him down to Jesus. And you know what God wants to do in our Bible study and in our small groups? That when the fire is raging in my life, there are four friends that say, oh, Beth can't help herself. We got to pick her up and carry her to the throne today. When the fire's raging in your life, I need to say, I need to stand in the gap that as she stands in the fire, that there are four of us that are standing in the gap that she can come through and come through as gold so that the javelin was raised and he kept it up there and the whole time he kept it up there the victory was won and ultimately ultimate victory came and ai was destroyed and that god's people got the victory and you know what i think god is wanting us to do to pray through those Jericho mountains and those AIs that loom in our lives and the lives of those we love to say, Lord, some of us are called to do battle and some of us are called to just stand in the gap and lift up those who are on battlefield. That's why it is so important for us to intercede for those overseas. Those that are representing us front line. Mrs. Moore just got back from seeing Jamie. We need to, in our small groups, you take your two missionaries and every single day pray for those missionaries. Steve and Beth Dupree are missionaries of the week. We need to lift them. We need to lift our internationals that are going back so that we become a praying people. And God can change a whole people group if he can get women to pray. He can turn lives around in Wilmore, in Lexington, in the whole state of Kentucky if we can begin to really know what it means to intercede. Are you and I lifting the javelin today? Are we willing to? Now, why do we not? I think it goes on to say, but let's, let's go to the, re, the verse 30. What does it say in verse 30? He not only lifts the javelin and, and, and stand, gets God's victory plan for Ai, but then when the battle's over, this is what he did not do after Jericho. He had this tremendous experience in Jericho. Walls fall down. God mightily moves. Rahab's wall's the only part that stood. And what happens? There was no sense of, thank you, God, you helped us. There was no gratitude. There was no calling the people together in praise and worship. They didn't have a thank you, Jesus party. But look what they have in verse 30 here. He began to learn the lesson. And after Ai falls down, there's a much meeker, humbler Joshua. And he said, before we do go any farther into this promised land, we are going to remember whence we have come and we are going to thank God and we are going to reconnoiter and go back to the basics. So they build an altar of worship and sacrifice to God to praise him and thank you for the victory that he has won and for his presence helping them to gain the promised land. And they not only do that, but they take the words of Moses and they write them on the sides of the altar So the, and then he reads them to the people. They didn't miss one word of what Moses had said. He read the the word of God to the people and then he had the visual aid all around the altar so they could see it as well as here and he said we are going to remember what God has done for us and we were going to feed ourselves on his word so that we gain strength and so we don't lose out again so I think these are tremendous keys for spiritual warfare one intercession 
And if you need a special intercession, you call your prayer group, your small group, and say, I am going into battle. I need prayer. Humble yourself. I, or I'm just not coping today. I need prayer. And let God begin to make us a caring community who intercedes for one another. But then we need to be in the word. We need to be hearing the word. We need to write it over our kitchen sink. We need to take our verses and put them over our bathroom mirror or put them on our kitchen sink so that the word of God is there so that it feeds our souls and nourishes our inner being so we are ready for the next part of the battle. Because the beautiful thing is if we go through with God, there it is going to be victory, battle, victory, battle, victory, battle. And when we're in that case, we should rejoice because it means that the Lord is working in our lives and the enemy is not a happy camper. So that we don't have to think, but I still do at times too. When the fires rage really hot, Lord, what am I doing wrong? This ought not to be this way. And it's true. It ought not to be that way because we live in a broken, fallen world. It is. And there's something in our hearts that says eternity should be different than this, and eternity will. But until we get to his presence and to heaven, we are going to have victory and then a battle. And victory and then a battle. And we need to prepare ourselves for that so we don't fall. Now we get to chapter 9. And this is very interesting chapter, and it has been very helpful to me. And I hope that the Lord will open it up to our hearts. Now, what happens in the first few verses? And it came to pass when all the kings were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast, and all these six tribes of people, they gathered together to fight with Joshua with one accord. So these people that were usually at war with one another, because there's a greater threat, they all get together in one accord. So there is a frontal attack on Joshua coming up. Okay. But how did Gibeon choose to fight him? Aha. Now Israel was kind of ready for frontal attacks. They were primed and ready. They had the troops ready, the javelin ready. They were ready for the frontal attacks. And I think you and I get that way. Ah, I'm ready. But it's the little insidious, subtle attacks from Slewfoot that tend to pull the rug out from under us. And we don't realize, or think, how did I get in this situation? What happened here? And so let's just look at this, the seduction of Israel. And the enemy changed his tactics, and he didn't come out with all, just out-and-out out, um, attack. He comes in through the back door, and he comes in like he's their very best friend. Okay, let's look at some of his tactics. Now, when the inhabitants of Gideon heard that Josh, what had Joshua done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. What does your translation say? Resorted to a ruse and went out and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks. What's the first thing that the Gibeonites did? They pretended to be something other than they were. And they pretended to be something very, um, very polished and sophisticated. They were ambassadors. 
So they pretended to be something very sophisticated, and they pretended to be something that they weren't. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins they mended and patched sandals on their feet. So what you have is premeditated deception on the part of Gibeon. They knew what they were doing, and they were doing it. It was premeditated deception. Now, you and I don't work that way. As you begin to walk with God, we don't, begin, we don't work that way, and we are surprised at a world that does work that way. But that is a state of a non-Christian heart and mind. I can't get my way in frontal attack. I can't get what I want this way. I'll just go and maneuver and manipulate this way. And so if this is what I want, this is what I'll get. And so they pretend to be what they're not, and then they pretend they, they um, premeditate the deception and plan it out to trap Israel. And then they say, we have come from a far country. And we, please make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said, well, how do we know you're from a far country? And, and oh, then it comes in very good language. What did they say in verse 8? We're your servants. Come very humbly. Very humbly. And they're lying through their teeth. But they're very humble as they lie. And then it says, we are your servants. And he says, well, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, from a very far country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God. What is the next characteristic of them? Very religious. I mean, these aren't, these aren't atheistic people. These are very religious people they come as. And they, oh, you're a Christian? I'll be a Christian. If that rings your bells, that'll ring mine too. And so they say what they want them to, Israel, to, they say what Israel wants to hear. So the seduction of Israel came, they, with premeditated deception, they pretended to be other than they were, they lied, they, they, they feigned humility, and they feigned being very religious so that they said oh yes and they said we've come because we've heard of all your great exploits that your God has done that God has done through you all could that not appeal to their pride we've heard about Og and Sihon before you ever got across the Jordan we've heard about what you did in Egypt and how your God kept you in the wilderness and you are it's incredible what God's done in your life it's incredible how God has worked through you the likes of you and so there's a sense of that they did not say one thing about the two recent victories that they knew about because it immediately give them away if they were from a far country they wouldn't have known about Jericho and AI so they don't say one thing about that but they say all that that happened way over across the Jordan and so they pretend to be other than they are to put through an agenda that is to get Israel off God's track and they appear to be very genuine and very sincere now what was the downfall in verse 14 why, oh why, oh why didn't Joshua seek God? 
He didn't at the end of Jericho. He would have found out before he lost 36 men. But he immediately does, they immediately do the leadership, the same thing they did in chapter 7. What they do is they listen to all the data, they make their own self-confident, common-sense decision, they do not pray and seek God, and then they disobey God because they do not have God's mind. And that's just... And I think that is exactly where you and I stand over and over again. And the enemy tricks us up. He may come in an outright frontal attack. And sometimes that's easier. I remember when two of my kids were little and one of them pitched temper tantrums. I mean, she just would lie down on the floor, just go, and then I'd think, aha, this is a definite defiance. I need to do something here. The other one never, never did that. Never. But wine and wine and wine and wine and wine and by the time you had 10 hours of whining, you know, you just kind of and it never, till one day my sister came and said you have got to do something. I said, what? I said, she said she whines day and night. And you know, I never heard it. It just was, it wasn't there. I didn't hear the whine. Now when, they, when one of them lay down and just went back, then I thought, ah. But the slow whining that just, ah, all day long. It's just like that's what it was and that's just how you lived and what could you do about it? And I remember Sally said, you can do something. You're the mother, she's the little two-year-old. Just say, we are not going to whine and you don't get anything you whine for. And what a transformation in our lives. <laughs> that's where you need the body again because you know Al would come home at five He'd say, why? When we had all four, I'd say, why are you allowing that? I'd say, Al, at 5 o'clock, if it's not immoral or indecent or self-destructive, they pretty much do what they want until you get home at 6 and I get the, re I can rethink now. We, what, we've got to start over afresh tomorrow because at the end of the day, it's just you're hassled. And, but God has to move into that. You need God to move in. And some days he, he was there to help me, but not every day was was a victory day. But it's God, that's kind of a frontal attack. Oh, I got to do something. But they came in this slimy back door. And they did not seek God in prayer. They did not get his mind on the situation from his word. And so, and they thought, I will handle it in my own strength. And they handled it and said, well, the comment, this would be the right thing to do. And they just went along with their own common sense approach. And they sinned against the eternal God and disobeyed him. And the people cried out and said, this isn't the right thing. These are the people that are to be destroyed. And these are the people now that we are just giving refuge to in the middle of our camp. So that the enemy was right inside the camp of Israel. For to be there forever. It was a life-changing decision. And they didn't even seek God. But it came in such a slippery way that they didn't realize it. 
And I think that's happened over and over again in our lives and in the lives of Christians worldwide. And God is saying, what can we do about it? And we need to be wary of the wiles of the enemy. And I want to just share a few ways he comes. If you and I begin to walk with God and begin to try our quiet time, do you know what will happen? The minute you begin to seek God in the early morning or in the evening to have your quiet time, you will get incredibly tired. You will be the most tired you have ever been in your whole life. And you know, I, Billy was so sick the other day, and then I, I thought he had gone to bed and he was watching the football game. And I said, you had a rejuvenation, didn't you? Nothing like a little football to put the old spizzerinctum back into the soul. It was incredible what football did to that ailing child. <laughs> you know what it can, so that, that's what will happen with you with God. You get that Bible, you get that cup of coffee, you sit down, and you will be so weary, you think, I can't face another minute, I gotta sleep at least 25 more minutes. I remember a missionary came home from furlough and she said, I, she'd been in the field nine years. She said, but I've never nailed down my quiet time. And when I'm in this accountability group with you, if I die, I'm going to nail down my quiet time. And do you know she almost did? She couldn't go to sleep at night being afraid she wouldn't wake up in the morning. And then she couldn't, when she woke, she'd wake up all night trying to, or then she would oversleep. And she said, no, I'm not going to be outfoxed by this again. I'm going to persevere till this becomes a part of my life. And if I perish from fatigue, I perish. And you and I need to come and say, when it comes to us like that, and we get so weary, and it comes, just say, Lord, if this fatigue is genuine physical fatigue, I receive it. But if this is an attack from the enemy because I am trying to go through with you and get time with you, I reject it. The next thing Slewfoot will do is say, man, you're so hungry. If you could just have just a little cheese and a cup of coffee or some crackers, and then you go to get the cheese and crackers, and by the time you get back, the phone's rung, or the kids have come home from school, or there's been an interruption, or your husband comes in unexpectedly and says, Lord, I wanted to, I couldn't, you know. And it all started because the devil diverted us with something as simplistic as cheese and crackers. Anything to get our mind off Jesus. Do you know what I put beside my Bible? I put my daily planner because the minute I sit down with my Bible, I think of 100,000 miles away. But we need to beware of the, the slimy tactics of Slewfoot to keep us from our source of power. And our source of power is feeding on Jesus Christ and interceding in prayer. And the minute you get on your knees to pray, all of hell will come to battle against you. You just try it. And you're just going to have to plead the blood and say, no, Lord, I'm going to persevere here. If I perish, I perish. And I refuse to be, de I denied the presence of the eternal God in my life. And let God begin to say, no, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So that God begins to make us people after God's own heart. And not give in to the slimy subtleties of the enemy because what the enemy wants to do is zap your spiritual strength so that you and I become creature creatures at five o'clock so that you and I can't cope with what life brings to us so that you and I do not have the mind of Christ so that when life-changing things happen just on the flick of a dime that we are not ready for it and we make the wrong decisions and we find the enemy in our kitchen just standing there right in our camp, right in our home, right in our family, and say, how did this happen? And you know how it happened? Prayerlessness.
There are going to be sometimes as you and begin to walk on the heart of, with the heart of God that God will call you out to prayer. And you'll be just doing dishes and God will say, and you'll have one of your children on your heart so strong, stop. Those dishes will be there till Jesus comes back. Stop. And you go and get a place and say, Lord, what is it? I don't even know what's happening, but I feel you need me to intercede. Remember the story of Hudson Taylor? His mother was to, oh, uh, visiting friends. He was alone with his daddy at his house. And his mother was, all of a sudden, she got a burden to intercede for her 17-year-old son that was so strong. She left the friends. They were in a dinner party. She left the party. She went up to her room, and she travailed in prayer until God gave her the inner witness that boy had been saved. And two weeks later, when she got home, he came out to her, and he said, Mama, you'll never know what happened. She said, Oh, yes, I do. She said, just tell me how it happened. And he said, I was wandering around the house and I felt lonesome and bored. And I went in the library and I found this tract. I pulled it off the shelf. I sat down on the floor. I read it. And God confronted my soul with my need for him. And she said, I think he's called me to China. And that's what God is looking for, that mothers are that have God's mind. And, but it does not come unless we begin to begin. And if you have to do what he began to do with me, where I got the little green chair and then the little clock, and he gave me a certain amount of time and said, Lord, I'm going to keep feeding Cheerios to all the children. <laughs> And keep getting, and they can all sit here with their Bible books, and it may not be ideal, but my heart is seeking you, Lord Jesus, and just sit there with all the kids around you if there's no other way, and set that timer and say, Lord, I don't even know how to pray, but I stand here in your presence. Oh, Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. And God will come to begin the dearest, become your dearest, sweetest most intimate friend, the lover of your soul. And Joshua didn't seek God. And so it led to disobedience for the people of God. And the Gibeonites ended up in their tent. Another thing the enemy will come and say, well, if you go through with God, you can't trust him. You don't know what will happen to your husband and children. And, and, if, and the minute you begin to go for God, you will become the most radical little mother and wife. And things that before, if you were going to PTA or even if you were going to work, would not bother you, will begin to bother you incredibly. And the enemy will come and say, you're neglecting your children. You're neglecting your family. You're neglecting, you're neglecting. And you, we need to be careful here, but we need to know, let God know that at the center of our tent is Jesus Christ. And that those children and husbands are gifts of his that we held like this. And the best way for us to mother and wife is for us to be full of Jesus Christ and full of the Holy Spirit so that he is Lord of our lives and that he, we wife through him and mother through him. Or he through us, better said. And I just read a precious story <coughs> about a little woman in Georgia, the one I've talked about, Annie Matthews, who, who got filled with the Holy Spirit, the one that had that terrible temper, remember, and broke the door 
when she got mad at her brother and then God filled her with his Holy Spirit and saved her and filled her with his Spirit and um, gave her such victory in her life. But she said she began to share Jesus with women in South Georgia. And one day she was called away and she was speaking to some women in South Georgia. And um, God had really worked. And she came back and they were having, her husband was a pastor, they were having a revival meeting at the church the next week. So she got back like on Saturday, the meeting started on Sunday, and went through the week with services twice a day. And she was weary. And all of a sudden, she got an incredible desire to make pants for her little boy, Georgie, who was five. And she thought, I'm just, and the enemy came and said, oh, you're just neglecting Georgie. And said, you need to, and you just won't be able to go to those meetings because you need to sew for your children. And you're tired. You've done your stint. You've done all you need to do for God. Now just relax a little bit and zero in on the home front here. And just, it'll be okay. And just, t Georgie's pants, Georgie's pants. It became the, and she said it wasn't like he was destitute. It was just like she just had a desire to make them. And it just became an overwhelming desire. Has that ever happened to you? And so she said, all, and then in the middle of the night, it got so heavy. She said, God, I am being harassed by the enemy over my little boy's pants. And he, God, the enemy is trying to keep me from participating with my husband in the work you've called us to do. And we can wait a week to get his wardrobe together for the spring. He's only five. And she said, I began to talk to him in the middle of the night, and in the night God said to me, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, Annie, even Georgie's pants. And she said, I, I had a sense that God was going to work for me. She said, I got up to do my housework. I got up to get ready for the week. And immediately a call came and I was out visiting someone who was dying. She said, I got into the meetings and I began to just go. And I said, Lord, it's all right. I, we give this week to you, trusting you for the rest of the time with my children. She said, when I got home that Monday morning, she, that Monday afternoon, one, a woman who was living with us came to the door and said, Annie, guess what? There's a package here. And she said, oh, and she opened it up, and there was a note from a friend, and she said, my little boy's outgrown his pants, and I thought maybe Georgie could use these, and there were seven pairs of pants in the package. And she started to cry. She said, what God is saying to me is that he knows my desire is to be a godly wife and mother. He knows my desire. But he knows my desire more than anything is to be available to his Holy Spirit for that that is on his heart for me. And he, wa he knows I want to seek him first. And the next day she went to her sessions and came back home and the little friend said, there's another package for you. And there were four more pairs of pants. She said, guess what? The devil tried to keep me out of church to make one pair of homemade pants. And what Jesus provided was 11 pairs of pants for Georgie. She said, he said to me over and over again, you seek him first 
and he will give you what is on your heart. You put God, what's on God's heart first, God will put what's on your heart on his heart. Now there are times though God says the best thing to do is stay home. And there are times that God says the best thing to do is to make Georgie's pants. But there are other times that God wants you in activity for him. And all of a sudden you'll need to clean your house and cupboards that have stayed that way for a hundred years. All of a sudden need to be cleaned. I mean right now during this prayer meeting or church service. You watch him. He comes in just as slimy as he can be. I know because he's done it in my life. We get ready to do something and all of a sudden I just have this obsession to clean my house. When, and, and I need to clean it. But you watch, you, we need to watch so that we say, God, what is your mind for me? And I resist everything that's from the enemy, but I receive everything that's from you and you control my, me and control my mind. Seek him first. And then he comes in and it's, Jessie Penn Lewis said in her little book on the conquest of Canaan that was so good. As we go through our days in an attitude of prayer, what we need to do is that we need to test everything and just become a woman of prayer. Just as the kids come for this or that, as quick as we can say, Lord, thy will be done here. Guide what I say. What is your will? Lord, thy will be done. And if it's in such a hurry that you and I don't have time to pray, Joshua was in a hurry. He didn't wait on God. Just say, I don't know yet. I need to pray about it. I don't know yet. And then just take it to Jesus. Remember when I was in Estonia and one of my kids came and wanted to watch a video. And I said, what is this video? Oh, great, great. This is the best. Oh, it's just uh, almost Christian, Mom, almost Christian. I said, oh, and my, my spirit didn't feel it was almost Christian. And so I said, I don't know what to do. Oh, push, 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 push. Then I just said, wait just a minute. Would you just leave just for a minute? But could you give me the video? And I just took that video because Al wasn't there. He was in Estonia. And I just put that video down on the bed and I knelt down and I said, Lord, I don't know if this needs to, I don't know anything about this, but I know this is being, I'm being pushed, pushed, pushed against the wall. I need your mind. I need your will. I need your guidance. I don't know what to do. And as Jesus was there, if your husband's not there, Jesus is there. And I, and, and immediately I thought, I knew what I was supposed to do. And I got up and called in this one, and I looked at him and I said, do you know what? I said, you are to make that decision. I cannot. I've, we've put into you for 15, 20 years now. It's not 20, but it's time for you to decide. You know Daddy's not here? Now you think if Daddy would want you to watch this big deal, and if Jesus would. And I said, I'm going to leave the decision up to you. And you could just have blown him over. And I didn't have wisdom. Jesus gave wisdom. Jesus is our very best friend, mothers. <laughs> Jesus is our very best friend. 
And the ultimate decisions are up to the, ch we can do all we can do, but we, our first desire is that we would please Jesus, not this child or this child or this child. And the ultimate decisions God has to make for us. And when we do not know what to do, we need to say, Jesus, James says, ask of him. And he won't say, he won't upbraid you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask about it. Give it to all women liberally and upbraideth not. God never says to you, Beth, you're just so dumb. Why would you ask a stupid thing like that? Whether it's baby food or sick children or the TV's broken or this happens or that happens, bring it to Jesus first and say, Lord, I don't know what to do about it. And if the pressure's on, just say, stop pressure. I'm going to seek Jesus to get his mind. And then ask God to make us creative in the Holy Spirit in prayerfulness as to what we're to do. They blew it because they didn't pray. And if God brings things, in, if things come into our lives so fast, we don't know what to do, stop and pray so that we get his mind. God wants to work for us. But we take things in our own, we're self-confident, we're prayerless, we're wordless, and then we lead, dis lead disobedient, broken lives that have no impact on our families, on our own lives, on our families, or the world around us. And Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he wants us to come to that source of power so that we begin to live an abiding exchange life with Jesus Christ, just like the Lord Jesus lived with the Father. You read through John and he said, I don't say anything that the Father doesn't give me to say. I don't go anywhere the Father doesn't send me. And I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. He lived in total dependence upon the Father. And that's what the Lord is looking for. Women who live in total dependence upon Jesus. All of us for all of him. And as we go through the day, just say, Jesus, I am available for your Holy Spirit. What next? What next? Your will, Lord. Your will. Your will. Your will. So that Gibeon won't come into your tent. But there may be some of us that Gibeon is already in your tent. You've made decisions. You've made life decisions. And you may have even married somebody and you thought, this is not who I intended to marry. This is not what I intended. Well, how did this work out? You may be in a relationship or you may have in-laws or, or, or your own family and you think, this is not what I wanted. Or you may have made decisions in college or high school that still haunt you. Do you know that it is not the end of the road because Jesus is our redeemer and our sanctifier and he can take the things that are bad in our lives and turn them around for His good, our good and his glory. And we need to say, well, I, it's hopeless. Gibeon's already in my tent. There's nothing I can do. Nothing is hopeless if once again we will bring it to Jesus Christ. We will say, Lord, I am sorry I failed you here. I'm sorry I was prayerless. I'm sorry I let Gibeon in. And then let God begin to move into this situation. And if he cannot move the Gibeonites out of your situation, do you know what he can do? He can use those for a means to sanctify your heart in a deeper dimension so that you can know God in a way that you would have never known him if you had not made that, made that mistake because your very pain drives you consistently into the heart of God. It just drives you to the heart of God because there's no other way you can live on a day-by-day -day basis. 
so that the Gibeonite in your life can be the thing that God uses to draw you and nestle you into the very heart of God. And out of that love relationship, God can flow through. Do you know one of the most godly women I ever met was a little woman I met at Indian Springs. And she just sloshed over with Jesus. And that's how she prayed. She was from Georgia and she said, Oh, Jesus, fill me so full of you, I just slosh over. And I used to go to that early morning prayer meeting and I'd say, Oh, Lord, Joy Griffin and I, and say, Lord, don't let her pray till we get there. And we'd race down there to wait to hear Aunt Florence pray. Because she prayed and Jesus came down and the bells tingled and there was just a, such a sense of God and so practical and so she was just on fire for Jesus, but in this warm, loving, laughing way. And so we, she, you know how she knew God so well? She married at 17, started out great, loved the Lord, but then the man she married became an alcoholic. And she held on to Jesus during those years. There were times she had to leave because he was so abusive, but she just came back. She did not break her covenant with God or her covenant with her husband, but she did stay alive. And she held on to Jesus, and she held on to Jesus, and she held on to Jesus. She gave me a sheet of her verses for her husband and her family, a whole big sheet that were cried over and prayed over as she held on to Jesus. Do you know the Gibeonite in her life was the one that kept her so close to the heart of God? Do you know she went in for surgery? She just died last year from leukemia. She went in for surgery. And they were, they were pat her on the tourney, were rolling her into the operating room. And somebody said, oh, this, one of the doctors, she's out, supposedly. One of the doctors said, oh, this lady's religious. And in her subconscious, she heard that. She sat up on that tourney and said, Oh, I'm not religious at all. It's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just want to tell you about Jesus. And she preached Jesus all the way to the hospital, uh, the operating room. They gave her another shot and knocked her out. And the doctor said, I never was so convicted in my life. I mean, that's the, where she was. Jesus oozed out of her life. When her funeral, they had people coming from three states to her. This one, this whole batch of people she led to the Lord. She was only in Albany, Georgia, four months before she died. The church was packed. People from Atlanta, people from Orlando, and people from Albany, Georgia, filled the church up because she was so full of the presence of God. Do you know what did it? The Gibeonite in her life, she didn't run away from. She just honored God, obeyed him, and, lo and that husband came back to Jesus, and he loves Jesus with all his heart. And who's in the early morning prayer meeting now? Aunt Florence is in heaven. Her husband. Who do I can't wait to go hear? Her husband that she cried and wept over for year after year after year. You know what Jesus is looking for? He is saying, oh God, please, can you not give me women from the one more Bible study? Women that will seek me with all their heart. And women that even the Gibeonites that are in their lives, they will say, I give you this Gibeonite, I release it to you. And Jesus, don't let me sin against you, but let me hold on to you 100%, Lord Jesus, that this one that is in my life, that, Lord, you would sanctify them and you would make them a me means in my life to make me know the heart of God in a way I could never have known him without this pain. And do you know what I think when we get to eternity? God has an incredible way. And we will look back and we'll say, oh, Jesus, thank you. You and only you are the one that can take the broken mistakes, the things that I shouldn't have done, 
the places I've failed you, turn them around for my very best good and your glory. Your glory. What's God saying to us today? What is he saying? What is he saying to your heart and my heart? Are we playing around? Are we failing week after week in our walk with God? No. No. That's what he said to us. I have begun, I have begun to give, begin to possess. Is it your quiet time? Is it your prayer time? Is it whatever it is in your inner heart? Get rid of all sin and then just take hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, I will not let you go. If I perish, I perish. And Jesus, you make me the best wife, the best mother you can possibly be. But Jesus, I die to that. I want you to be Lord in my life and you love through me. But Jesus, I give you the everyone I love, everything I'm clinging on to. They are yours. I love you best. And do you know what? Sometimes I think we have to go through when our hands begin to clutch and just in our prayers say, no, he's yours, she's yours, they're yours, my home's yours, our future's yours, our finances are yours, my life's yours. Jesus, it's all yours. Oh, Jesus, come and set your people free. Set me free so that, Lord, we have power over Gibeon and that, Lord, this enemy of our souls doesn't slink in and steal our joy, steal our love for him, and steal our relationship to an eternal God. Because if we do not pay attention to Gibeon when he shows up on our doorstep, do you know what? And deal with him. Do you know what will happen? Just what happened to Achan. We will lose our walk with God. And the enemy is so slimy that sometimes we do not even know we've lost his presence until we get down the road and we say, ah, Something's happened in my soul. There's death here instead of life. And Jesus wants to talk to us today. Let us be gut level honest and ask him for that. Let's go to prayer. I just wish that every one of you would just make your heart an altar right now. Just like that altar in chapter 8 that Joshua lifted up. And then just ask Jesus... Say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Is there any place that the Gibeonites have slunk into my life? They come with moldy bread. They come with lies. They have seduced me. Is there any place that they're there? And you don't have to leave with their power in your life anymore. And that you can leave right now with a free heart. God, I pray you would let expose sin and expose the treachery of the evil one. And Jesus, I pray truth would surface. That the Holy Spirit would just go in this room row by row, heart by heart, and truth would surface. Truth would surface as to where we really are. Truth would surface as to where our homes are, where our jobs are, where our husbands are. Truth would surface and where our relationship is, where we, where our loves are. Do we really love Jesus Christ or do we, are we, are there other idols at the center, in the center of the citadel of our souls? 
Oh, Jesus, set us free. You and you alone are worthy of our worship. You and you alone, Jesus, are worthy to be God. You don't want to strip away all these love gifts. They're from your hands. Families and children and babies and employment. God, they're all from you. But, oh, Jesus, we cry out. You want to purify our hearts so we really know how to love. We really know how to give. And we don't work like Gibeon with one another. We just kind of manipulate and, and attack and try to get our own way in insidious ways. Jesus, set your people free. And I pray, Jesus, you would put a hunger in the lives of our lives and in our hearts that we hunger for you more than life. That there comes a hunger in every single woman here for a relationship with Jesus Christ and for a, com and a, a hunger for the word so that there's a longing to be in the word. Lord, strip away anything that keeps us from that kind of relationship, we pray, so that, Lord, you can begin to use us in a way that we never dreamed possible, whether we know it or not, that we will just be free channels through whom the spirit of the Lord flows, and that you would touch lives even as we go into surgery. Jesus, that you would be there at the core of our being. Oh, God. That kind of relationship is not just for one woman. That's available for all of us. Today, let there be some of us who say, Lord, I want to know you like that. And Jesus, let us be willing to pay the price to know Jesus and to walk with God. And Jesus, we just thank you. Strip away any prayerlessness, any, any wordlessness, any disobedience, Lord Jesus the hurry, the clutter. And Lord, let us begin to walk in newness of life and in the liberty of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>